Volume One, Chapter One of The Rebel Rose. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Deanna Beauvais. The Rebel Rose by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. Volume One, Chapter One In the Lobby mr bellarmin can you tell me who that handsome girl is asked lady saxon i have been watching her this long time what is she doing here and why does she dress in that eccentric fashion she looks a cross between a lady horsebreaker and mary queen of scots the question was put in the lobby of the house of commons on an evening in may to one of the most rising young men of the conservative party this was mr ralph bellarmin lady saxon's latest favorite she was determined to make a victim of him it was said and he seemed quite willing to be victimized the lobby was full a great debate was going on and many strangers were waiting on the off chance of somebody leaving his place in one of the galleries and going away thereby bequeathing a seat to some fortunate successor lady saxon who was a clever woman and regarded life from the dramatic point of view was wont to say that to stand in this inner lobby of the house of commons on such an occasion was to feel the pulse of england to-night the very air was exciting an important by-election an election that is to say caused by some unexpected event such as a resignation or a death was going on and its result might be made known at any moment now and the result would be one of much moment and significance everyone in the lobby seemed to have the shadow of this coming event on his face every face had its own look of importance and preoccupation telegrams were flying off by the score from the clicking little room in the outer lobby a little mob had collected round the post office the floor was strewn with more than its usual quantity of torn paper members were gathered in knots their hats tilted over their foreheads after the approved fashion of the house of commons and were talking earnestly or chafing each other noisily other members passed to and fro in an alert eager manner only the policemen on duty kept their stolid bored expression several ladies were dotted about among the groups one or two who waited against the wall while their escorts asked questions or applied for orders looked a little shy and awkward but for the most part the ladies in the lobby seemed sufficiently at ease and were eagerly snatching at all the information they could get from the various politicians who came in their way english political life was in a curious condition just then an ominous calm prevailed for the moment it had followed a storm and every one felt that it was sure to be followed by a storm the tories were in office but hardly in power they had succeeded in turning out sir victor champion after he had held office for some years but they had turned him out only by a small majority and by the help of votes on which steady old-fashioned toryism could not always count the fire new energetic and compact little band of tory democrats as they chose to call themselves supplied the votes which turned out sir victor champion lord saxon and the other liberal ministers of various shades and put the marquis of bosworth lord twyford and other tory nobles and gentlemen into their office but the tories had lost their great statesman 
de carmel the only man who could stand up against sir victor champion lord de carmel's death had brought lord bosworth to the front as leader lord bosworth was a tory of unbending will and inveterate prejudices the political sun must stand still for him but then would it stand still people asked in truth there seemed a lack of some stimulating purpose on either side victor champion's ministry had not been liberal enough for the liberals out of doors champion was kept back by his whig colleagues so his radical adherents and his tory opponents declared but it seemed impossible to believe that he would not do his best to get hold of the country again a good war cry on either side would be a great thing everybody said the trouble with the tory government was that if the sun would not stand still for them neither would the tory democrats the trouble with the liberals was that they lacked a cause and a cry the lady who asked the question of mr bellarmine was herself of most striking appearance she was not in her first youth thirty she frankly owned to and probably she was a little older but is it not conceded that a beautiful woman of thirty is at her most dangerous age she was extremely handsome hers was a beauty that told of a passionate melodramatic temperament the most optimistic soothsayer would hesitate to predict for lady saxon a life undisturbed by any whirlwind of emotion she was luxuriant in form tall more than commonly tall and her height was increased by the style in which her bright yellow rather curly hair was brushed up from the nape of her neck and from her oval forehead and coiled in a mass on the top of her small very finely set head the upper folds of the coil were so much lighter than the hair beneath that they suggested a coronal of gold such as might have been borne by some early saxon princess the coronal was placed however a little on one side thus giving her a certain air of defiance and coquetry bringing to mind also the rakishly worn kp of a daredevil young french soldier her dark eyebrows and large dark eyes were in curious contrast with the golden hair which evidently did not owe its glory to art her mouth was ripe and red and had a slow way of smiling that was one of her greatest fascinations she was in evening dress having rushed from dinner to hear her husband speak and wore a long plush mantle the color of heliotrope which was a little thrown back and showed glimpses of a neck and arms half veiled in lace and of what sculptors call heroic size perhaps a fastidious observer might have said that there was just a little too much of her in every way that nature had made her a little too tall too yellow-haired too dark-eyed too handsome that there was something almost oppressive in her beauty that there was a faint suggestion of lack of refinement as in a dinner-table too prodigally adorned with plate and hothouse flowers lady saxon was quite entitled to feel at home in this political atmosphere she was married to the marquis of saxon eldest son and heir of the great duke of athelstane and one of the whig leaders in the house of commons lord saxon had been up and was now down and his speech was creating some talk in the lobby rolf bellarmine when he approached lady saxon had expected that she would say something about her husband's speech 
and was surprised to find her mind occupied with the unknown beauty he laughed pleasantly the laugh brightened his fine-featured poetic almost melancholy face which when in repose looked like that of a medieval hero of romance but when he laughed his ringing laugh and above all when he baited his opponents on the floor of the house in his pugnacious schoolboy style he seemed what he was a nineteenth-century tory democrat the leader of the little party which had been instrumental in bringing the conservatives into office that young lady has every right to get herself up as mary queen of scots lady saxon she is the honourable mary stuart beaton and who is the honourable mary stuart beaton you haven't heard of our new pretendress there was an article about her in the piccadilly last week it was called nineteenth-century jacobites lady saxon smiled i like my politics and my scandal at first hand she said but i'm behind instead of before the newspapers in this case mary stuart what does that mean i retract my remark about the lady horsebreaker since she is a friend of yours her majesty has a distinguished look and is certainly very pretty tell me about her lady saxon turned a critical gaze upon a little group of ladies and gentlemen who had just been brought into the lobby anybody could have seen at a glance that this particular lady about whom lady saxon was inquiring was the principal figure in the group one could as well have failed to pick out diana herself in the midst of a group of her maiden huntresses there was indeed something of the huntress in this young woman's aspect in her height she too was taller than the ordinarily tall woman in the erectness and freedom of her carriage in her slimness and the poise of her head and in the clinging robe of black velvet which fell in straight folds from the waist and looked odd and picturesque in contrast with the more inflated draperies of the fashionable london women whether by accident or design the costume reminded its beholder of that style of dress which we associate with portraits of the scottish queen the stiff long bodice made with a sort of modern adaptation of the old-fashioned stomacher the rosary and cross hanging from the girdle the bonnet peaked in front and edged with large jet beads the full lace ruffle all harmonized with a face startlingly stuart in outline this nineteenth-century representative of the white queen bore a curious resemblance to some of the best-known and most authentic portraits of her hapless prototype she had the oval face and long slender neck the rather high forehead over which dark brown hair with a ruddy tinge through it parted in natural waves the long straight nose the full clear almond-shaped hazel eyes and fine arched brows even the little pointed chin with a dimple upon it the face was full of decision and of a certain innocent pride it was not without the shade of proverbial stuart melancholy but this was only noticeable when the features were in repose and then it gave to the countenance a pathos and feminine sweetness that was perhaps its greatest charm yet surely the tragic could have no association with this mary stuart whose smile suddenly illuminating the face was so frank and bright and whose manner when she talked had almost childlike animation miss beaton is the lioness of a certain coterie answered bellarmin 
she holds a sort of court of her own so they tell me and gives herself quite naturally i suppose the heirs of exiled royalty a queen of the gypsies said lady saxon scornfully come now lady saxon that complexion doesn't look like gypsy blood charles the second looked like a gypsy didn't he lady saxon interjected well miss beaton doesn't as you see if you were a legitimist i should tell you that there stands your lawful queen your queen by divine right you count yourself english i suppose now he added i am english of course replied lady saxon composedly though i was married to a german bellarmin bowed certainly lady saxon's pronunciation of the letter r was too trill-like to bear out the current rumour that she was of teutonic origin though many fanciful pen-and-ink sketches had been made of lady saxon in society publications nothing more was known as positive fact about her than that lord saxon had married her in frankfort some eighteen months previously and that she had been the widow of a certain baron langenwelt ennobled for scientific discovery but tell me said lady saxon still looking toward the quasi-royal group tell me about this miss beaton what are you talking of is it a joke or a mystification or a case of the ben sinister nothing of the sort i am quite serious that girl is the legitimate descendant of the stuarts you can study her genealogy in the almanac de gotha lady saxon if you doubt me she starts from henrietta maria duchess of orleans who according to scandalous chronicles was poisoned by her husband henrietta maria left a daughter married to a prince of savoy miss beaton's mother through whom her stuart blood runs was a bavarian princess and she married an englishman lord beaton a legitimist a tory of the old school of the divine right church and king order in short a conservative like you put in lady saxon fixing her dark eyes upon the young man and smiling one of her enigmatic smiles not in the least like me returned bellarmin like lord stonehenge if you want an illustration and he glanced toward a tall slight aristocratic-looking man with a peaked vandyke beard who was standing near miss beaton and was at the moment speaking to a portly white-haired lady evidently one of miss beaton's companions lord stonehenge was a catholic a jacobite by education whose ancestors paid homage at st germain's and whose association with the english court ended when the dynasty of revolution began i am interested in lord stonehenge said lady saxon his place is not far from a queer little nest of mine you don't conserve traditions then mr bellarmin i am a tory of the new-fangled sort replied bellarmin that is not a tory at all in the old-fashioned sense what lord saxon would call a tory i only conserve the traditions which are not rotten enough to crumble away of themselves there i differ from your leader your champion of christendom as they call him who wants to go at established institutions like st george at the dragon social evolution is my theory lady saxon though i and my progressive tory party did turn out you liberals the other day you should be in our camp said lady saxon her eyes still gazing into his you have nothing in common with the tories and you know it but you like to be master of the situation mr bellarmin 
you love a free fight you must be always in opposition showing up abuses and bullying the placeholders you have it in your power now while the balance is so even to turn out any government that has been your aim and ambition oh i know it is a proud position for so young a man but will it last till the general election said rolfe in a tone rather of question than of assertion you refused a place in the ministry continued lady saxon yes the place of a junior lord put in bellarmin ah well you see mr bellarmin i do know some political secrets which the newspapers only hint at she went on you were quite right not to commit yourself i may tell you that there was meaning in her tone i suppose i understand you lady saxon you think that sir victor champion will soon have to face the country on a new issue well the time may come to demolish the house of lords fifty years hence perhaps but i don't quite see it now bellarmin lowered his voice and glanced cautiously round i am quite ready to believe that you know a great many political secrets lady saxon perhaps you wouldn't mind giving me the straight tip about these mysterious negotiations some knowing ones are talking of of the mine which people say champion is springing beneath the foundations of the constitution lady saxon's eyes shot out a gleam oh i cannot tell you anything about that she said slowly she drew a deep breath and involuntarily perhaps pressed her hand to her bosom sir victor champion is a great man she said a man of indomitable will of infinite resource his enemies have not done him justice nor she added his friends has he any friends not so many as worse men but those he has are true to him said lady saxon yet his secrets get out you see bellarmin answered you think so i have proved it have i not i'm amazed i confess said lady saxon after a moment's pause how did you get to know about these negotiations if you choose to call them so she replied what else could anyone call them well no matter what they are called don't fence with me surely we know each other too well for that how did you get to know the shadow of an emotion passed over bellarmin's face at her appeal but he shook it off he was evidently under constraint and tried to hide what he was feeling under a mask of conventional banter he laughed come isn't that rather cool on your part lady saxon you want me to tell you everything and you who hint at a great deal but will never really tell one a political secret i don't so much want to find out what you know as how you came to know lady saxon said emphatically after all if there are traitors in sir victor's confidence men who reveal his most secret purposes lady saxon seemed moved to generous anger lady saxon said bellarmin gravely there was nothing of that kind there was no underhand revelation of anything there was no treachery of any sort lady saxon's eyes flashed with a delight which she hastened to conceal all this talk had been a little fencing match between her and bellarmin and quite unconsciously bellarmin had been vanquished lady saxon 
had never before heard one word of any negotiations going on between sir victor and any set of politicians bellarmin had taken it for granted that she must be aware of the whole matter through her husband and had had a hope that by playing a bold game he might get to know something of lord saxon's purposes he gained no addition to his stock of information she gained much she learned that there were negotiations she knew that her husband had not been told anything about them and from bellarmin's last answer she also learned that the negotiations were carried on semi-officially with him on behalf of his party that was the only construction to be put on his declaration that there had been no treachery let us come back to our princess said bellarmin as if he wished to turn the conversation see how these men are doing homage to her here in the lobby of the house of commons he laughed there's something odd and incongruous and picturesque about the whole thing lady saxon it takes my fancy it is going back to sir walter scott and flora MacIver and all that sort of thing it's dramatic it's refreshing in these days of the birmingham caucus and the divided skirt don't you think so i agree with you that miss mary stuart beaton has a sense of the dramatic said lady saxon rather absently she would have preferred to talk about this unknown scheme of champions the leader of the opposition this great coup which people said he was meditating and which was to shatter or cement the liberal party she wanted to talk about practical politics and not about visionary dynasties the interest she had felt in mary stuart beaton was imperiously expelled by another and more powerful interest an interest that lay deep deep at the core of josephine saxon's heart she herself became conscious that her bosom was answering to an emotion not warranted by the mere casual mention of her husband's chief and she tried to pull herself together making a peremptory little sign to bellarmin to await her pleasure she suddenly nodded and smiled to a lady who came up at that moment how do you do lady mavis there was a half-whispered colloquy just come from polesmere it was too terrible we are getting as serious as the bostonians everybody in corners with dictionaries trying to see how many words they could make out of sardanopolis that sort of thing then guessing words somebody gave cupid and psyche and lady polesmere the bride who they say learns her lesson by heart every morning and is too stupid and too lovely for anything said but who is psyche i never heard of psyche had she ever heard of cupid well my dear she couldn't come to a better person than you to learn about him have you begun your parties yet ask me soon to a little dinner only don't put me beside one of your horrid radicals since you gave hodge his vote the ladies gallery has become a bear garden a pair of radical shoemakeresses talking so loudly that it was impossible to hear any of our side i spoke to the doorkeeper but it was of no use he couldn't do anything oh poor mr samuelson lady saxon said i didn't ever suppose that he had any radical tendencies all creatures of that sort have radical tendencies lady mavis affirmed in a manner that ought to have settled the question i always fancied that he was a mild conservative lady saxon said 
my opinion is lady mavis redhouse gravely declared that doorkeepers ought not to have any political ideas of their own i do not believe that politics were meant for doorkeepers lady saxon bantered her friend upon certain primrose league proceedings in the provinces it was evident that the tory party depended mainly upon lady mavis redhouse for its maintenance and consolidation bellarmine marvelled at the frivolity of woman especially of political women there were barbed congratulations on lord saxon's speech and parting allusions to coffee on the terrace rolf bellarmine watching lady saxon's face fancied that he had a clue to the changes in her manner he did not doubt that she was acquainted with the springs which moved the figures in this game of politics it was whispered that lord saxon heavy wig and unimaginative unambitious leader of the less progressive liberals was not in complete sympathy with champion's bold views on the subject of reform bellarmine suspected that whatever coup champion might be meditating he had not the absolute certainty of lord saxon's support he made a shrewd guess that champion calculated upon startling lord saxon into acquiescence or upon his power of educating his party so secretly and so rapidly that lord saxon would one day find himself in the rear and comparatively powerless but in that case what was lady saxon's attitude she was too clever to be kept in the dark there were not two opinions on the subject of lady saxon's cleverness though it was often said that she lacked self-control that she made her likes and her hates too apparent to outsiders some of her words just now in reference to champion gave the impression of unguarded and devoted admiration bellarmine had not however observed any sign of intimacy between the liberal chief and the wife of lord saxon sir victor was not met in lady saxon's drawing-room though they were of course acquaintances it would seem that their acquaintance was only superficial to be sure there had been hitherto but few opportunities for social intercourse lord saxon's marriage had taken place the last autumn but one the liberal ministry had come into short power in the following summer and during part of their term of office lady saxon had been kept out of the whirl of london life by the birth and death of her first child a son she had only taken her place as a leader of fashion in london a few months ago her social prominence had been coincident with the dawn of her friendship with bellarmine this friendship had constituted a sort of crisis in bellarmine's career he began to find out that like other men he seemed to have a dual nature he sometimes wondered whether it was to his best or his worst self that lady saxon appealed there were moments when he felt a sense of passionate revolt against her influence moments when he had thought of marriage as a possible refuge or corrective but her ascendancy remained no other woman so far had been able to enchain even temporarily the young politician's affections the political atmosphere was to him so keen and so necessary a stimulant that to love outside its radius appeared to him an impossibility unmarried girls he found painfully insipid 
this is a conclusion to which many a london man arrives even without the splendid contrast presented by lady saxon the whole situation was piquant there was a double charm in the fact that the lady of his admiration stood in the first rank of his opponents could she win him over dared he trust himself within the enemy's lines was she playing with him or was she in heroic earnest was she goddess or diplomatist or mere everyday excitement loving coquette all this speculation heightened the charm and danger of the position no definite word had been spoken the draft was too strong to be taken without consideration of consequences bellarmin dallied with the cup but the fumes from it were mounting lady saxon turned again to bellarmin and lightly touched his arm with her gloved finger when are you coming to see me to talk of important things to-morrow you have only to name your own time always provided that it is not an hour when the division bell is likely to ring to-morrow it is an off day at six o'clock i have a great deal to say to you about serious things your eyes keep wandering to your Stuart princess she added in a bantering tone take care remember the fate of chastelard who is that tall man with her the man with the white moustache and the scar on his forehead he looks the dignified parent in a play is he her father oh no her father is dead that is general falcon an englishman i believe who was in the austrian service and has given up everything to act as her what shall i say i really don't know prime minister master of the horse chief secretary manager factotum anything you like to call him i don't particularly want to call him anything answered lady saxon a little disdainfully i can understand what the office is a pretty young pretendress is that what you called her wants just such a picturesque and stately and unimpeachable sort of person to introduce her and manage her affairs oh yes one knows all that there was a tinge of bitterness in lady saxon's tone her hearer might almost have fancied that she herself had known what it was to face the world without an introducer unprotected youth and beauty are at a disadvantage in these days well i should imagine that general falcon's figure and moustache would count for ever so much with a jury of british philistines and will impress society greatly is your Stuart princess going to assert her claims to the throne of england oh no said bellarmin again with more eagerness than was quite pleasing to lady saxon for it showed too strong a measure of interest in the lovely unknown i can't think that anything so absurd is dreamed of she has very sensible friends in this country i hear some of the tory catholic set and they won't let her be led into nonsense there is a notion that she has come over to claim some money or estates or something that once belonged to the ancestral stuarts you seem to be well up in her affairs have you been presented at her court not yet but i shall get an introduction i think the whole thing is most interesting do you i don't somehow i can remember the tishborne case that excited me a little at first but it became so tiresome claimants to anything are bores 
i would rather look at my mary stuart than at the gentleman who called himself sir roger tishborne said bellarmin no doubt lady saxon answered coldly one can't help admiring her ralph went on injudiciously i think i detest her already lady saxon said i hate shams of every kind perhaps she added with a curious burst of candour which was the characteristic of the woman because i am a good deal of a sham myself lady saxon in truth was a little out of tune when will men learn or will they never learn that women do not delight in hearing the praises of other women especially when these praises come from masculine lips that might be employed in saying more appropriate things meanwhile miss mary stuart beaton was conducted by lord stonehenge the gentleman with the vandyke beard and some members of the house of commons to the entrance of the legislative chamber in order that she might have a front view of the debate passing through the outer door between the great leather chairs where the twin doorkeepers sit one comes on a sort of hall out of which the division lobbies run the no lobby on the right of the visitor the eye on the left straight in front are the swinging brazen doors which open only to members of parliament and within which is the debating chamber itself on the extreme left of the left-hand door is a kind of niche with a small leathern seat on this seat in this niche it is the privilege of women and only women to stand they are escorted in there not more than two at a time by a member of the house and standing on that perch and looking through the plate glass encased in the brass of the door they can see mr speaker on his throne and the members of the government on the treasury bench at his right and the leaders of the opposition at his left and leaders of independent parties below the gangway the ladies gallery be it observed is above and behind the speaker's chair and miss beaton might go there forever and not see what the occupant of the speaker's chair is like or how the house looks from the natural or pictorial point of view miss beaton had not looked upon this sight before and she ran across the tessellated pavement of the lobby with the eagerness of a girl anxious to see something new and the careless freedom of one who has got it well into her mind that she is at liberty to do anything that she likes in the way that pleases her her escort mr levin a scotch member descended from a family which had forfeited its title in the rebellion of seventeen forty five was a little behind her and her skirts were long and trailing and he was afraid of treading on them he had to plunge forward however for she was positively about opening the brass door and calmly entering the sacred precincts of the house itself where the apparition of a woman would create as much bewilderment and consternation as her intrusion into the mosque of omar while the services of the mahometans were going on this way please he said breathlessly not into the house this little perch this perch here oh am i to mount on that if you please do you know that you were going into the house of commons itself mary laughed not in the least abashed by the knowledge of the sacrilege she had so nearly perpetrated she mounted lightly to the perch and studied the front view of the house for a moment in silence i feel rather ridiculous here she said looking down on lord stonehenge i am like a schoolgirl mounted on a penitential stool 
i think i am rather too tall for this sort of perch i'll get down oh what is happening two members were rushing wildly past and thrusting their way into the house one of them was waving a telegram in his hand miss beaton remained on her perch for the moment eager to see and hear she saw the member who bore the telegram break through the groups who were standing at the bar and while the doors of the house were yet swinging open she could hear him say in quite a loud and excited tone fourteen hundred majority for trestle then there was a tremendous burst of cheering from the opposition benches which was again and again renewed it utterly bewildered a member of the government who was haranguing from the treasury bench he could not at first understand the meaning of this strange interruption did not know what had happened and stumbled hopelessly in his oration mary dropped lightly to the floor without touching lord stonehenge's reverential hand she and her escort came out into the lobby again and mr levin explained the meaning of the telegram and the cheering the election had gone in favor of the radical candidate by a large majority but that was not all the victorious candidate was tommy trussell a very advanced and audacious radical an independent eccentric sort of man but that was not all trussell had been representative of the constituency for a long time but his radical opinions had been growing more and more pronounced of late and he had been making furious attacks upon the house of lords his opponents taunted him with having betrayed his constituents and promised him that he should never get into the house again at least for that constituency the general election whenever it came would settle him they said whereupon trestle promptly applied for the chiltern hundreds in other words resigned his seat and came forward again as a candidate for the same place in order to give his constituents a chance of saying whether they approved of what he had said or done or not and now behold he is sent back to the house with an immense and wholly unexpected majority to encourage him no wonder the radicals cheered yet another incident occurred sir victor champion and lord saxon were passing out in deep conversation and the moment sir victor was seen all the radical members in the lobby set up a wild cheer and other radicals came rushing out of the house and joined in the cheer and soon quite a crowd formed around sir victor cheering for him as if he were the hero of the hour sir victor looked pleased lord saxon scowled what's the row about now lord saxon asked when the cheering had at last subsided oh trestle's election of course sir victor said carelessly but i don't see what we have to do with that i mean what you have to do with it why should they cheer you because trestle has been elected sir victor said nothing lord stonehenge whispered a word or two to mary who nodded assent and then he stopped the two statesmen and presented each to miss beaton lord saxon a tall heavy-jawed man with a stolid face deeply flushed a full reddish beard and a shambling groom-like way of walking felt awkward and looked it and said only a formal word or two sir victor's eyes darted upon miss beaton and fastened on her face he felt and showed the deepest interest in the meeting and before many seconds had made it clear to mary that he understood all about her history and genealogy lady saxon and bellarmine watched the movements and gestures of the little group 
come you had better take your turn and do homage with the rest lady saxon said she was willing to do without bellarmin now she wanted to come in the way of sir victor champion the interview between miss beaton and champion was over lord saxon saw his wife and came across and spoke to her i want to know why sir victor has not been to see me said lady saxon in a low rapid tone make him come here you seem annoyed saxon has anything happened nothing much talk to you by and by lord saxon said brightening a little then he turned and motioned to sir victor who was about to pass on merely lifting his hat to lady saxon my wife wants to speak to you he said lady saxon moved forward and held out her hand sir victor joined them lady saxon's opportunity had come End of volume one, chapter one.